0: Good day, good afternoon, mates. My name is Big Swole, and I'd like to welcome you all to another journey into Swole's world where we keeps it real. If you are new to the land, anytime you have a question, you can go ahead and press that little telephone and I will answer your call. I will answer your question. As always, the first stop is the Swole East Report. You know how, you know how I do, Blue, little slowly support. I tell it like it is, tell it like a I is. And first up, y'all, now I say y'all because it ain't me, but y'all's new fearless leader of that little bird app, Elon Musk, has said, well, Butrin is way worse than Adirond, in his opinion. It should be taken off the market. Listen, sir, now you knew people was going to get up in arms, what you say in this. There's a lot of people out there who medicate with Wellbutrin, and it helps them on many levels. I myself have taken Wellbutrin, and it, it wasn't my cup of tea. It didn't do well for me, but I'm glad that it's out there and it's helping others. I feel like when people speak on mental health, the conversation should be about healing necessarily than just, oh, it should be X, Y, and Z. These are my opinion, and curse this and curse that. Hey, people are out here getting help. And I am glad that they are doing it. And I am all for people trying to heal themselves rather than just taking something for treatment. Next on the little chopping block, um, FDA. Now, usually, you know, uh, I don't ride with the FDA because, the, you know, they phonies uh, for the most part. Because <laughs> some of this stuff should not be on the shelves. Let's just really be honest. Like, I'm like, dude, y'all, y'all tripping. But the FDA is proposing to ban menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars. Apparently, this is going to help prevent up to 654,000 lives over the next 40 years, which is amazing. Um, I recently just saw that uh, they said that black smokers uh, make up about 85% of them use menthol products. And uh I can definitely attest to that because my dad, he was a huge, huge smoker. Smoker, and I could, like, always smell those Newport's like a mile away. And I remember crying to him, saying, to "Please stop," because I just, you know, you're a kid. You know they're bad. You know they're bad. And I'm, I'm like, please, please, just stop, just stop. And of course, it didn't pretty much come to a head until my grandfather had a stroke and had heart issues uh, from smoking. When he finally decided to put it down, but I'm like, look, you guys, it's not, it's not worth it. And in all honesty, I feel like the person to blame is whoever made candy cigarettes. Um, looking back, that was not a good thing for us to be playing with and eating up, Mister Polar Cup Man. You coming around with your nice little jingle? Everybody wants, you know, some, uh, some popsicles and stuff. But you know, everybody in my was getting them candy cigarettes, pretending to be smoking cigarettes. That's, that's not cool. That's not cool. Uh, so please, look no no more candy cigarettes, look, cause we wasn't doing nothing but stunting our growth, taking them little things and eating. Look now we got people out here getting their knees done. You you out here making white chicks right? Okay, the whole movie. Say they got their knees done. Now people out here getting their knees done, cause them candy cigarettes and all that caffeine was stunting your growth. You got L. A. Surgeons out here getting $75,000 a pop, a pop, for them to grow three to five inches, 75000 I can't imagine you going in there like, yeah, man, let me get that cyborg real quick, extend, extend these knees, let me get my knees done, please, <laughs> but it all, honestly, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, like, if they had a cyborg part swap that I, you know, I, I'll take it, let me, let me get a new gut, switch that out for me. Because this one I got is faulty. It's, it's, it's got a leak somewhere. I don't know where it's coming from, but I need the help. Please switch it out. <laughs> Actually, uh, my gut was pretty good way, way, way back when, when I was a little jit. I was, I was 18, had a boneless pit, man, you, you know, the little commercial when I could give it to Mikey, Mikey, eat it. No, man, give it to Ariel. I'm finna demolish it. I'm finna eat it up. And the best part is I had no weight gain. No weight gain whatsoever. I was one of them people, them skinny, them skinty people. You walk around like, uh, uh-huh. but then you see how much I eat. Like my plate was overloaded. And then I would eat other people's stuff. Like you go eat your cornbread. Yeah, that was, that was me. I'm, I'm trying to eat whatever you have left over on your plate. Cause I feel like you didn't do it justice by eating it. <laughs> so yeah, I would eat all the dang on time and it caught up to me completely uh it was time for college and I, I remember dropping weight I dropped crazy crazy weight and I would eat McDonald's hella McDonald's trying to gain it back and it was in October when things kind of just came to a head you know in October you're getting that refund check from your school you ready to spend that mug? You think about everything you about to buy. You about to get the new iPod. You know, back when that thing was popular. You're like, I'm about to spend my money on all this. I had to spend my money on clothes. Now, that's like a normal thing, however. But when you have, when you have to, when you have to, it's not, it's not optional. You have to spend it on clothes. Like, I did not want to spend my refund check on just clothes. Like, I feel like I already had clothes. However, in October, I dropped 30 pounds in that one little month. It didn't even take all the 31 days. It was about 20 of them mugs, about 20 days and nights. And I dropped from a size five to a size one, sometimes even a zero, depending on the make and model. If it was like some Levi's, I, I could probably get away with the one. But if it was like some Hollister-esque type jeans, it, it was definitely a zero like even my feet got smaller so I had to spend my money on Nike's and spend you know cuz you know I had to have my Nike's even though even though I was small and deteriorating I still had to look nice in some form of fashion but yes it was it was a definitely a hard time cuz like you said I was I was eating McDonald's all the time went to the doctor and she was like oh you have ulcers that's an easy fix for me I said okay I could take that. I could take that. Ariel could take that. I was like, I'll be done with this in a couple months. Ulcers is easy. And within those five months, I had continuous treatment. I was getting better. My weight was coming up. You couldn't tell me nothing. I was like, okay, I don't know exactly what happened in October, but I'm feeling better. And October is usually like that month that something usually happens to me, either like my, my monthly disappears or something happens. So I'm like, okay. It was just one of those fluke months. I'm getting better. I'm gaining weight. I'm finally out of this one zero. I'm in like a two three and I'm starting to feel myself a little bit. But it was the hugest falsy of my life. Like (laughs) it it was worse than. I I know. Yeah, I, I know. I spent time watching this movie. I shouldn't have. But I watched this movie Buried featuring Ryan Reynolds. And if you haven't watched it, it's a snuff film. I'm sorry to tell you, spoiler alert, it's a snuff film. It was back in 2010 where you had this hope, this undeniable hope that he is going to get out of that coffin that he is in. He's buried alive and he's, he's like a contractor working in like Iraq or something. You think he's about to get out, but then they're at the wrong coffin. That was me, huge halsey. I'm not getting saved. Here comes April 3rd, 2008. Now. I came out of the doctor's office that night that day and she says, Oh, you're getting better. You're getting better. I go use the bathroom. Everything that comes out of my body is blood at this point. Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. And the smart thing to do would be go back into the doctor's office. But what did I do, yeah? <laughs> my dumbass got back into the car with my friends there, drove back home, was like, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm I'm fine. Blood just came out of everywhere, but I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. That's that young people talking. That's that stupid talking. I went back home and went to you know, use the bathroom again because it just felt so horrible. And my dad walked in. He said, Ariel, you look like death. And now he's a pastor. And, I, you know, when your parents say stuff, it go one ear, not the other. However, the tone change made me reconsider because my mom was like, you should just take it to the hospital. I'm like, I'm just going to lay down. See, that's that stupid talking again. I'm just going to lay down. What what the hell is a nap going to do when blood is coming out of you? Like, go to the hospital area. So my dad says, it scares me half to death. We get into the car and we start driving. And I remember laying down and feeling so sleepy feeling so sleepy, and my body just overheated, and I remember blacking out. Well, what I thought was a blackout wasn't really a blackout. It was me flatlining in the back of my mom's car, uh, not knowing I'm just dying by the seconds, and I remember waking up, or getting you know, getting waked up, getting awoken, and, uh, awakened, and they <laughs> said, well, we're going to need to do the CAT scan. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? I was just in the car with my mom. Now I'm in, you know, I knew I was coming to the hospital, but I don't remember getting inside of the hospital, getting in the wheelchair or however they transported me into the hospital. I get in there, they can't give me an IV. They said, okay, let's just go straight to the CAT scan. Get to the CAT scan, the doctor comes back and says, she may have Crohn's disease, but we don't know for sure. But the CAT scan results come back. The doctor says, your intestines are eating each other, which I didn't think it was possible. I literally, I was like, okay, this is just for the food to process on out. But my small intestines was swallowing up my large intestines, and he said that it was pulsating, and that in the next thirty minutes, this would be true death, like final, like you would become septic, and we couldn't do anything but watch you die. So they prepped me, and in about fifteen minutes, it was. It was such a huge race going against time because they just thought it was about thirty minutes. I mean who knows what could have happened, the thing could have just burst within the next five and I wouldn't be here today. But uh afterwards they prepped me for the OR and uh I woke up and tubes were just everywhere. And they were you know, coming out of my lady parts, coming out of my nose. Uh, I had IVs, I had two IVs, I had staples going up and down my stomach, uh, and Dr. Roth comes in, and he says, yes, you have Crohn's disease, and you have the worst kind. It's called toxic megacolon, and usually Crohn's disease is found in babies, which meant that my, excuse me, the Crohn's that was active inside of my body just was dormant for 18 plus years, just waiting, could not be found, not do any, you know, any other scans, anything else that's happened to me, it was not found, it was just there, and with everything that I was eating, all the stress that I was going through just kind of made everything explode, so here I am, 18 years old, going through this traumatic experience, uh, not being able to eat. Uh they had to give me t p n which is a total parental uh peritonal excuse me uh, nutrition, so it bypasses your g i tract so I'm getting fed through this through this tube, and that's pretty much the next several days. It's just nurse checks, blood work. Lots of, lots of blown IVs because I just couldn't, they couldn't keep them in my body. It got to the point where I had two at one time, had one in my neck that swelled up to like this softball. So then they started to uh, give me a pick line instead because they were tired of every, like I was going through at least two every 15 to 30 minutes. And they were just like, okay, your body cannot take any more needling. So a pick line had to be done and that goes straight to your heart. So, after they got that all situated, and I was finally able to get off the TPN and eat solids, not necessarily, excuse me, not solids, but like applesauce and stuff like that, and jello, I caught C. diff. C. diff is a bacteria that spills out of your colon into your abdominal cavity. So, it kind of almost makes you semi septic, and it's very highly contagious. So my family had to come visit me in these, and they had to put on these yellow suits, So they're looking like Homer working at the nuclear plant. And that like gave me two extra weeks of in the hospital, being in the hospital, because they take CDF very seriously. And you can catch it just by me breathing on you and through food and through you touching walls and everything. And, um. having that on top of active Crohn's caused me to have these abscesses form throughout my body. So after having, of course, another surgery, after just having a foot and a half of my intestines taken out, (laughs) they were like, okay, you've had these surgeries, we've cleared everything out, you're good to go home. One thing about going home after you've had these type of surgeries is that they don't tell you that you have to learn how to walk again. And this wasn't anything new to me. I uh, had an incident where I was temporarily paralyzed and I had to learn how to walk again. So doing this was been that before, but having those staples there and having to stretch out that body that, and feel that, that pain was just horrible. And I was already dealing with the stress of them telling me that, you know, hey, you're you cannot do any more sports. And you will never be able to have children. That's just completely out of the cards for you, given how severe your Crohn's is. It's just not going to happen. Uh, so I'm sitting at home and I'm just going through, the, I guess, the motions and having a nurse come and check me out. And they, of course, they only send you home with hydro- hydrocodone. That's nothing compared to the pain that I was feeling of this nurse having to come and unpack my abscess and repack it with these strips of gauze um it's <laughs> when i say that it, it's just it's overwhelming because i'm home alone i just in experienced this most traumatic event of my life and this is after of course being temporarily paralyzed i've been struck by lightning i even had a horde of fire ants like attack me or doing my first time experiencing grass in my life it's just <laughs> event after event after event but this one took the cake like the the amount of depression and the amount of like suicidal thoughts that went through my head I just couldn't fathom like I I'm not going to be able to have a legacy I'm not going to hell who knows if I'm going to be able to walk and and eat right and everything and with that negative behavior came more negative events 3 weeks later I was back in the hospital for more abscesses the stress was taking a hold of my life and this was the turning point in my whole entire existence this hospital stay because my mom ended up having to leave I say have to because she is a woman of faith and the spirit told her that she had to leave because I would always lean on her and if anybody knows me they know that like my mom was completely my rock and being a woman of faith, I had to have God be my rock. So my mom left and and I had to have my abscess being packed during that same time. So the nurse comes in and she gives me 10 milligrams of morphine. I didn't even know this was legal because at this point, they had just been telling me, we can only give you one milligram per time. But they come in and say, hey, we're giving you 10 milligrams for this one little procedure we have to do. And when I tell you the lady that was next to me, because this is back when, you know, they had all those split rooms, she said that she, she was like, I don't know exactly what you just experienced. She's like, but I will never understand it. And I pray that I will never have to experience that level of pain because the screams that came out of me was ungodly. Even after having ten milligrams of morphine in my system, it did nothing. I felt everything, and <laughs> it was during that time alone after that traumatic experience. After that, it, I started bargaining with God, and I was like, "I need to get out of here. I can't be in here anymore. My psyche is failing. I, I, I am not. I'm not the same person I, I used to be. I would read." revelation out of all things and Queen Esther in the book of Esther. And I said, if you get me out of this, Lord, you get me out of this hospital I will name my firstborn after Queen Esther. Now, I didn't know at the time if I was trying to trick God or not, or if I was just undeniably having some faith that, yes, I will have a kid one day. I don't care what these doctors say. I will have a kid and I'm going to name this kid after Queen Esther when I get out of here. That was beginning of me strengthening my relationship because I just couldn't I couldn't understand why you're my mom why are you leaving me during this time and she later told me that she cried outside my room the whole entire time that uh, the procedure was going on Uh, she couldn't believe that she had the strength to leave because she definitely wanted to stay But I needed that. I needed that boost to kind of go out on my own and kind of figure out my life from in on out. Because dealing with Crohn's disease, I didn't know where my life was going to go. You have this plan for your life, but now it's been uprooted. So school was pretty much out for me because I was like, I'm not going to do that. I've been gifted in AP classes my whole entire life. I don't want to go to school. So I decided to go to the Air Force. I had promised my mom when I was younger to live out one of her dreams. So I was like, yeah, let's go to the Air Force. But the good times did not last because you're young, you're dumb. I'm eating whatever I want to. I'm in boot camp, and another abscess forms. But this time, good old, good old government—they want to do the surgery while I'm awake, y'all. <laughs> I, I agreed because I, I wanted to get it over with, and I. Like you said, that is, like I said, it's uh, stupid, the stupidity, you thinking that this is going to be quick and easy, but no, here I am with just a male doctor in this eight by 10 foot room and he goes to localize the area. Now this is like near my mom here and I don't have a nurse in there. So the protocols are all off, but I didn't know that. I didn't know you're supposed to have at least a female nurse in there. Uh, Especially when you have a doctor, any kind of doctor. So uh, with me screaming as loud as I was, because again, I'm awake, I have no, no pain medicine, no nothing. This uh, SRO officer, this uh, comes burgeoning in because she thinks something is happening because the other airman on the other side of the door explains that there is a male in there with a female doing a surgery in this little room not, it's not a sterile area or anything like that. So she thinks that something of a sexual matter is going on. So she bursts in there. They have to stop the whole procedure. I think the man gets in trouble. They rushes me to the OR and they realize, okay, we're going to have to do this surgery while you're asleep. And I'm like, oh no shit. (laughs) And they tried to put me in the 319, Uh, for anybody who's not, you know, savvy to a boot camp or anything. 319 is a squadron where they, if you're on med hold, you have to go there, and it's like a death sentence because you could be there for months, for years, just sitting there. And I didn't want that. I wanted to just finish it out and go forth because I was, I was named dorm chief. I was like, no, I have to do this. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not taking no for an answer. And I don't know if it's because they were afraid that I was going to say something about the lack of protocol. But they definitely did not put me in the 319 and they let me continue on. And that's kind of like when I started to see a little bit of a trend that the push on trend. You're always going to be somebody else's problem when it's the military. So I get to the tech school and those doctors were definitely uninformed and even more incompetent and more concerned about treatment versus healing. It was more about putting patches on the Crohn's disease Rather than let me see about fixing it. So during this time, I was pushed with a lot of drugs, and I know there's a lot of uh, different, uh, I guess, research researchers out there that Black women get different kind of treatment, and I am I am living proof because I got pushed with hydrocodone, Vicodin, oxycodone, Percocet, Loratad, Dilaudid, Tramadol, even. I even got a liquid vial of lidocaine. <laughs> like every single pain medicine underneath the, like underneath the sun, when I got used to one, they would move me to another. When I got used to that one, they would move me to another. Always stronger, always stronger to the point where <laughs> I was in denial. I had no pain, so I had no problem. I had no Crohn's in my mind because I am just high 24 seven doing drill. I am high. Just like doing all the tests. I was high doing, doing all the tech school, going to, going to the school, learning how to be a fire truck mechanic and do regular gas engines. I was high on something, on Tron, on Toradol, Percocet, just pushed with all these pills, not thinking that it's going to have a problem it's going to cause a problem. Uh, Just thinking that entrusting the doctors to know what they're doing and to know how to heal me. So I'm in tech school just drinking, eating, not sticking to the diet because to me, I'm fixed. I have no pain. I am fixed. I go to my first duty station. That brings about two more surgeries along with taking 12, excuse me, over 12 pills a day to try to fix the issues and the problems that were caused by the doctors at test school at the tech school pushing me with all those narcotics. One of those surgeries uh <laughs> one of those surgeries is uh came from Duke. And this is when they they started really outsourcing. Okay, we're gonna get you the you know the treatment that you need. We're gonna get you that healing. I go to this 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 doctor at Duke Duke Hospital in North Carolina, and he says, "All right, this is this is what I'm going to do." He's very very knowledgeable. He's selling it. He's well, he's selling it. He's laying it on thick. All right, we're gonna we're gonna put this in you. We're gonna put this. and We're gonna take this out. And I'm like, okay, it's it's great, it's great. My mom came down for the surgery. My best friend came down for the surgery. And then next thing you know, I wake up the day after the surgery. And uh, because it's an outpatient surgery, and I realized that I'm in a lot of pain. So I take the hydrocodone, of course, naturally take more uh, pain medicine. And I realized that the incision that they made was starting to close up with the packaging inside of the hole. And that's not normal. That's something that uh, uh, you go back to the hospital for. So given that the hospital is another hour and 30 minutes away, I call them and I try to get in touch with the doctor. The doctor went on vacation. He has left the office. <laughs> and <laughs> the look on my face pretty much told it all. My my friend's like, what? What the what the hell? What are you what are you talking about? Is it on vacation? I'm like, okay. So why wasn't I told that beforehand? Why didn't I get another doctor? I was like, You would give me somebody like this and then they immediately go on vacation. There's just somebody else I can speak with, you know, like a secondary or anything. No, there's not. Sorry. So what do you want me to do? <laughs> and the lady goes, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, but uh, we'll, we'll have somebody get back in touch with you. And that was it. So I take it upon myself to sterilize my tweezers with witch hazel and alcohol, and I have to pull the strips out myself. Now these are the same strips that with even with ten milligrams of morphine I felt. So uh, everybody around pretty much heard me screaming and. I vowed, of course, never to go near a Duke hospital again because I was like, how can you treat somebody like this? How can you not have the answers? And just when I think that, like, life couldn't get any worse for me, I go back to my doctor, have a um, a colonoscopy, and he tells me that he has found colon cancer. And I just, I was broken. I defeated. I wanted out of the Air Force. I I just... I couldn't believe that all of this was happening to me. It got to the point where I, I checked out completely. I stopped all my medicine. I removed red meat from my diet and I just became delusional. Because I couldn't I couldn't deal with that as well. Having the big C and having the little C, like cancer and Crohn's, that like give me a break. Like I've, I've I've already been paralyzed. I've been struck by lightning. Like I just what what else? I've been flatlined. Like what else can happen? I stayed in that delusional state for three years where I was like, nope, I'm in remission. I'm not going to worry about anything. I I did the, like the, the take the polyps out and everything, but that's the last thing I was going to do. I was like, I'm, I'm done dealing with this. Uh, naturally I am a tad hard headed and being delusional was probably not the best thing. Of course, it was not the best thing uh, for me because after those three years, it came back in full force. I was in and out of the hospital, like back and forth. It was horrible. And even to the point where uh, I found out that I was pregnant and I still had active Crohn's disease, which is a a huge no-no. Like they, the doctors will always tell you if it's not like, hey, you can't have kids, do not have kids when you have active Crohn's disease, because there is no telling what can happen within that. And given that I had this scar on my stomach, <laughs> doctors probably should have never told me this, but their worry was that I would be split open. Like predator style, split open because of the tightness, because I, it wouldn't. So my stomach just doesn't expand like that. It shouldn't be able to expand like that, especially with the keloid like this on my uh on my stomach, on my abs. And <laughs> during the pregnancy it was horrible, it was pretty horrible. Um in back in and out of the hospital, the last practicing hits, hicks, the baby just kept trying to come out. Even after it was about five months or so, the baby she just kept trying to come out. Just just kept trying. And of course, on top of that, I'm still having side effects from the Crohn's disease. So, uh, I'm I'm having this baby. I know that Crohn's disease is hereditary. I am doing my best praying and wishing that this passes her. Because I, I wouldn't wish this on the my worst enemy. Uh I just I just was praying fervently just trying to say God, please don't let her have this. Please don't let her have this. Take put it all on me. I'd rather take everything to save her, this, this piece, this, this thorn in her, this thorn in my side. Um, After pregnancy, they, they find that, you know, she doesn't have Crohn's disease. Everything is perfectly fine. Um, But of course, after the baby is safe and out, my body was like, Mortimer, we're back. So that botched Duke surgery has to be redone. Because, of course, naturally, everything goes back to my version of normal. End up having to get these seatons. And this is, of course, when I decide to wrestle. I decide to wrestle. This is uh, is just great. I finally get to wrestle because the pregnancy is over. And I, I think I'm feeling a little bit better. But then I start having issue after issue after issue during the beginning of my wrestling career. I had two more surgeries before I even got signed and even more medicine. They even, they put me on Humira. Humira may work for anybody else, but it did not work for me. It made things absolutely worse. Uh, certain parts of my body would start to lock up and the, the acne that came with it. Like I'm, I've never had acne in my life. Even during my teenage years, it's always been very clean face, but Humira just messed up my skin And the hormonal imbalance of it all just completely jacked me up. And of course, when I'm worried about how I feel and my self image and how I look, is when I learned that Crohn's not only affects your GI tract, it mimics rheumatoid arthritis. If anybody has RA, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I had locked up knees, ankles, swollen joints, toes, elbows. Everything would lock up, y'all. It was, it was so horrible. Even before, like my match with Sheeta, they they had to wrap up my ankle and wrap up different parts of my bodies because the crones just attacked it, and I couldn't bend. Like doing a match where you can't bend your ankle, it oh my gosh, it was it was horrible. It gets so bad to the point where, even like after. I end up uh, not resigning with AEW. Uh, a lot of people actually don't know this, but I ended up uh, becoming bedridden, and I could I couldn't move. Like my hips locked up, and my my knees locked up, and I just just couldn't move. And when you're when you're dependent on people like that, especially like me, like I said, I am a little hard headed and uh, independent to the core, and having to rely on people. It It's humbling, definitely humbling because I like to do, do, do so much for other people that sometimes I forget about myself. So getting slowed down to where like Cedric had to help me even bathe. And it's just like, oh God, sorry. It, it was just, it was just like, like how much more I could take, how much more can Crohn's takes away from me? And honest to God, I'm so thankful for my really, really close friends. My day 365s of Faye and Tasha uh, came by to to visit me. They came down to visit and seeing them, seeing me hurt me to the core because you know, they're not trying to have a pity face. You know, they're not trying to look sad because they're thinking about you. They're, They're thinking about you in your situation, but also at the same time, I'm looking at them and I am feeling for them because they're feeling for me. And I was like, I got, I got to get up out of here. I got to get up out of here. Like it just, that was just kind of like my last straw, you know, because Crohn's disease can make you very immune compromised, and um, I learned that the hard way in 2017. I ended up catching this thing called the nightmare virus. I was patient zero for They should have named it a small virus or something like that. I don't know. Maybe not because then I don't want to be that famous like that or infamous. But they ended up naming it the nightmare virus. Um, They found a mass in my lung that was eating away at my lung. And um, they thought it was a cancer mass. But they ended up like having to mix up two antibiotics to get me healthy after two weeks. And... That's also when I realized that Crohn's can just, it's not just the GI tract. It's not just mimicking other viruses because it can also mimic like sickle cell where it, your white blood cells are eating up your red blood cells. Like it is it's just like this uh, this mutative disease that eats away at your whole entire body. Just when you think it's it only affects one part It comes with something else that affects you in an entirely different way. It completely taught me about how to protect myself, especially during COVID. At the height of COVID, I caught pneumonia. And I caught pneumonia like two times during that that little first year. And I remember the doctors telling me, hey, um, we don't know what's going on. But the pneumonia, it, it is 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 eating up at you a lot, and uh, you're you're dying. Now I've heard this. <laughs> it seems like my whole entire life because with the nightmare virus, all I heard was, okay, you're dying, you're slowly dying, but we don't know why. And then when COVID hit, oh, you're slowly dying, but you don't know why. The whole entire time, it was the Crohn's disease that my body was trying to fight off, and it couldn't fight off anything else because. Crohn's disease just takes up so much of your white blood cells. It focuses most of its attention because it is so massive and, and it can riddle and it can attack any part of your body at any time, especially, especially during the times where there's things like COVID and flus going around. Um, I remember the doctors telling me after the pneumonia went away, they said, hey, you cannot resume your Remicade medicine this medicine was the closest thing to keeping me alive, like, that I've ever had, and for them to tell me, if you take that Remicade, you will surely die, scared the living hell out of me, and this is, this is, of course, you know, like, after the big, you know, height of the AEW career, and I'm just like, what, like, no, this can't, this can't be the end, I've come so far, I've, I've, you know, I've, had so much strength. I battled so, so fearlessly, like this cannot be the end for me. So I decided to get off, you know, can't, can't take the Remicade. And it was a complete downhill slope, not being medicated and having active Crohn's disease. It was just, it was just a recipe for disaster. So it just, I kept getting sick. I couldn't necessarily stop it. And with everything that was going on in my life and in wrestling and with my peace being disrupted and stress being the number one trigger for Crohn's disease, I knew that I needed time at home. I needed time to heal. My body has been through so much since since the beginning of the time, but really since 2008, I just felt like this was finally my time to just be at home, especially since I'm not being able to be active. And it inspired me to have a more of a holistic health journey because everything that I've done in the past has not worked. The Crohn's just keeps on attacking. Like I said, there's three doors that you go through in life, and uh, I was definitely at the revolving door. And revolving door is about timing. And (laughs) this is just finally the time where I told myself I am no longer going to be on the harsh medicine. I am going. Try to heal myself with herbs. I'm gonna try to get better as far as taking out this disease, being 100 percent on my diet, and and wearing more so, not necessarily wearing, but like keeping focus on myself because taking 12 plus pills, being doing all the like IVs and stuff like that all the dang on time, that's not conducive. Even the stuff that I'm on now, and Tibio, even though it's it's not as harsh. Um, It it pretty much just blocks the overflow of my red blood cells in my intestines to prevent inflammation rather than immune system suppression like the rest of my medication was. So the NTBO is better. But however, I still have to take it every six weeks. Getting IVs every six weeks is horrible on your veins. My nurses keep telling me, "Okay, hey, you keep having like blockages like I keep having hardening, um, excuse me, cartilage. In my veins, and I'm running out of veins, so <laughs> it almost feels like just running out of time to get to where I need to be in my health journey. And um, like I said, this is this is all it's all about timing. So I'm just in the midst of trying to figure out what's best for me after listening to these doctors rip me up and tear me apart uh, since I was 18, I'm kind of over it, um, I'm over it, like, consuming my life, and almost feeling like it takes things away from me, like, I, I feel like it has changed me drastically, not just as far as personality, but just as far as how I view the world, how I see the world. When I thought that this disease would leave me in a negative place, uh, thank God for grace because it's just allowed me to keep smiling. Through the midst of it all, through everything that I've went through, I know that I'm a stronger person. And I know that this journey is not just for me, it's for somebody else. And uh, that brings me to my PSA for today. Uh, Keep pushing. And while you're pushing, keep smiling. (laughs) Because as always, somebody is watching you. Your journey is not for yourself. It's for someone else. Someone else to see your experience, see how you have struggled, see how you have went along, and to see how you come out on the other side. So keep pushing, keep smiling. Uh, No matter what happens to me, uh, I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep smiling through it all because I've been through it all, this is literally just like a taste, if I was a dive digger, it would be an even longer episode, but I feel like I'm getting super emotional, so <laughs> I just want to uh, kind of just back off a little bit uh, from, from here, but it's, it's been a journey, y'all, it's, it's been horrible, it's been great, it's been wonderful, it's been hard, Um, but I won't stop, I won't quit, Uh, I'll keep wrestling. I'll keep learning. Uh, I'll keep going uh, until I can't take it anymore. Uh, Until the Lord tells me to stop. (laughs) But uh, I love y'all. I really do appreciate y'all and thank y'all for coming on this journey and listening to me speak about uh, Crohn's disease and uh, my little thorn. But the best thing about thorns is that it stems into roses. So I am proud to show off my color. I'm proud to show off my fragrance. I'm proud to be the rose that God wants me to be. I'm proud to just be. So as always, you are loved. You are appreciated. You are more. I want y'all to keep smiling, keep pushing, and keep being young. Love y'all.